Okay. Hey, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you are tuning in or connecting. If you're coming to uh, this uh, on demand, thank you for tuning in. If you're here in the room right now enjoying it, thank you for being a part of it. If you're in the atrium, if you're tuning into the live cast live with us, thank you. It is so good to have you here uh, for this week four of our Lent series again and again. And our anchor verse for this series is found in Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 23, uh, where the writer, the poet, it says, the Lord's acts of mercy are not exhausted. His compassion is not spent. They are renewed each morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this really is uh, the heartbeat of our Lent series that again and again, over and over again, we find that the mercies of God are renewed each day. And this morning, what we want to do, or this evening, or this afternoon, or whenever you're tuning in, is we want to uh, look and reflect on this idea that again and again, God loves first. God loves first. Again and again, God loves first. You know, I love those songs that uh, Josh performed for us. That last song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. I love that lyric that says, For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. What a beautiful image, the idea of God looking upon a child holding a baby. Very much like what that poem said during that song, right? That, the, that God, the God of the universe, kind of fixes God's gaze on us. And that's where grace flows out. And as we think about this idea that God loves it uh, again and again first, I was thinking about this idea of the love that we have for babies, right? When uh, you give birth uh, to a child, when you hold that infant for the first time. In that moment, it's interesting that love is uh, mentally a very one-sided thing. The love is just one-sided at our birth, right? It's not that, that the baby understands love, that the baby could act in such a way to earn love. No, the baby is just there to receive love. The baby receives love. It just flows from caregivers. It flows from parents. It's kind of a one-way direction. And the, really, the only way that that child gives back love is what? To receive love. Right? We know that feeling, right? When a baby curls and cuddles up in our arms or on our chest. When that baby receives the warmth of our love, then we feel that love back and we say things like, oh, our hearts just melt. What's painful, though, and what's true is that as we grow, as we get older, we have this reality that sets in that we have to move away from that kind of love. We have kind of an awakening, a loss of innocence. Right? And all of a sudden we kind of grow and we seek to gain our independence. And love uh, is very kind of different. It's imagined in that we, we know, wow, I have to kind of give this love as well. And we start to listen to and we start to experience love differently. We start to receive love differently from our children. And all of a sudden love, it feels like maybe it has a, a string attached to it. And the truth is, as we grow, we have to leave this garden. Right? There's this, this beautiful story in scripture about the garden and the fall, and there's a leaving of the garden. We think of that so much as like this terrible thing, but, but if we think of that story in a sense as this great picture, metaphor of what happens to all of us, we recognize that as we grow up, somehow we have to kind of mature and we have to leave that garden. We have to leave that place where love is just one way. We have to learn what it is uh, to give love, to receive love. And all of a sudden, you know, that love that we have for our children, that love that we've experienced it, that we experienced as a child, as a baby, let's say, all of a sudden we start to feel a tension in that love. 
you know, our children, we start to feel that tension with them. And we say things like this. One day, when you have a child, then you'll understand. Right? There's something about having a child, having a baby, that love that pours out one way that's so powerful. There's something about childbirth. There's something about the holding of a baby and that love that's so pure. And then we go through life and we, we walk away from that love of our parents in some way. We leave the garden. We lose our innocence. But then we, ha- we trust in this experience that, again, I'll, I'll have something in my life, a child or something, that will help me understand that kind of love. Paul makes this really interesting statement in one of his letters. Paul says that perhaps women will be saved through childbirth. Right? Women will be saved through childbirth. I love that image that, that perhaps there's something so powerful in bearing children that we can actually understand the love that God has for us. Because it is that moment in time when the receiving of love is the giving of love. Right? As a baby, the way in which you give love back is to simply receive. It's a one-way flowing out of a parent's heart, a parent's life into that baby. And Jesus actually picks up on this in the scriptures. Uh, The Gospel of John gives us this really interesting story about Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. And and Jesus gives this uh, metaphor of new birth, of how important it is for us to go through and experience this birth from above. It's as if Jesus knows there's something about being born where we actually in that moment receive and understand love in its purest form, God in God's purest form. In John chapter 3, verse 3, we pick up the story, and, and this, this religious leader, Nicodemus, had in the cover of night gone to see Jesus and, and was talking with Jesus about some of the miracles that he had done and, and was telling Jesus that he must be sent from God. And, and, and Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, this statement, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, perhaps if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this uh, expressed as, uh, unless you're born again. Well, it's interesting, the same kind of Greek word could be understood as born again or born from above. And so there was this confusion and Nicodemus hears this and he says, wait a second, how can you know, I be born again from the flesh? And Jesus is trying to help him understand a spiritual truth. This thing that happens inside of us where we are born in a fresh way, born in a new way, and we receive and understand this love of God. A few verses later comes one of the most famous verses uh, that many people have at least seen the reference to, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where Jesus is kind of explaining to Nicodemus what it means to be able to see the kingdom, to experience this love of God. And in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, or actually John says this, the writer uh, explaining Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This really powerful verse, powerful explanation in the Gospel of John about what it means to be born anew, to truly understand the nature of God, the love of God as expressed in God's Son, Jesus. Now, there's a few letters in the New Testament that are in the same name as the Gospel, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I want to look for a second at 1st John because I think that this verse in the Gospel of John brings up some questions. And uh, we think that the Gospel of John brought up a lot of questions, hence we have 
the letter of 1 John. A lot of scholars believe that 1 John was actually written as kind of a commentary, a way of explaining the gospel of John uh, to people who might be confused by a bit of it. And so there's a couple questions that come up out of John uh, 3.16 and 17. The first question is this, well, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? Is eternal life this idea that we all get to kind of go off into the sky and go live forever floating on clouds or just singing worship songs? or What is eternal life? Well, in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, the very opening of it kind of gives a, an explanation of the very opening of the Gospel of John. And it says this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked upon and touched with our hands concerns the word of life. In other words, we're talking about, the writer here, the school of thought is saying, we're talking about what was from the very beginning. And we've seen and we've touched this, this word of life. And I love what the, the, the writer goes on and says, for the life was made visible. This life that was from the beginning, this word of life, this logos. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made visible to us. Did you catch that there? that the eternal life was made visible and was with the Father. Oh, we're getting a clue as to what eternal life actually is. And then the writer goes on and says, what we have seen and heard we proclaim now to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. For our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what we're getting here is this picture of this eternal word, this eternal life that was with the Father at the beginning of creation, and this word became visible in the person of Jesus. And so eternal life, according to John, this school of thought, eternal life is the imminent, right, the up-close and personal generative nature of God, the universal Christ incarnate in Jesus. That is what eternal life is. To have eternal life is to have the, the spirit of Christ, to, to experience, to receive eternal life, is to have that living word, that logos, in your very being core that you understand it. It's a very uh, big understanding of God that, that comes from the Trinity. You've seen me perhaps use this kind of image before of the Trinity, that the way we think about God has to shift away from a monarch in the sky to relationship, a relationship between uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. These are words that you hear. But we could also think about these natures of God. It's the infinite nature of God, right? The transcendent nature of God. It's it's the imminent nature of God, the incarnation, the, the word that took on flesh. And it's the intimate nature of God, the spirit of God, that are all in relationship with one another, pouring love into each other perfectly. And we are invited into that flow. And that is eternal life. Eternal life is to have this life, this living word, be a part of our very essence, and oftentimes people live in this flow. People flow in love and give love and are experiencing God, but don't know it. They don't have that language for it. And that's the beauty of Jesus is that we're given this language for what this God is doing, what this universal Christ that took on flesh in Jesus is doing in the world today. So that's the first question. For God so the world gave us only said that we'd have eternal life. Well, eternal life begins now. Eternal life begins living in the flow, in this flow of God, what is love, right? This powerful force. And then the next question is, well, what does it mean to believe in the Son, right? John 3, 16 says, for God sent his Son into the world that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have this eternal life. 
Well, 1 John 4, 16 through 19 helps us understand what does it actually mean to believe in it? What does it mean to believe in the Son of God? Here's what it says. It says, we've come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. So to believe in Son is to believe in the love that God has for us. And goes on and explains that God is love. And whoever remains in love, whoever's in that flow of love, love being poured into, filled up and then flowing out, right? Whoever remains in love remains in God and God in that person, in him or her. And so to believe in Jesus is to live in this flow. It's to live in love. It's to live in this transforming power of what I'll call newborn love. That love that is so pure that the only way to give it is to receive it, right? The only way that that newborn that's being held in our arms, the only way that that newborn gives love is to receive love. Isn't that powerful? Like that's the call. To believe in Jesus, to believe in that love, to believe in that love that can flow and to live in that way. And so the writer goes on in 1 John and says, in this is love brought to perfection among us. Right? In this is love brought to perfection among us. When we live in love, when we live in that newborn love, the flow of perfect love from God, that we now have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Isn't that great? I mean, this is powerful. So as Jesus was walking around in this world in the flow, I and the Father are one, Right? When we put our faith in, when we have this enlightening, this salvation, this aha moment, this gift, this grace put into our hearts and our lives, that now we live in the flow of love, we have confidence and we're no longer afraid. That's this, this imagery, this metaphor, this day of judgment idea. So we don't have to be afraid because we are in this world as Jesus was in this world, a begotten child of God. The writer says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so one who fears is not yet in perfect love. See, God is that flow, that relationship between the natures of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? The transcendent, the imminent, right? The intimate one, all pouring love, all flowing in that force that is in all of life, right? We, we walk into that flow. We surrender to that flow of love. And it's just this one way pouring into us and we, we then pour it out. And in that moment, we know we are in God. God is in us and we have nothing to be afraid of. Not even death itself. We've conquered it. We don't even have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of the judgment day where we stand and we go beyond this grave because we're living in love. That's the power of newborn love. That's what it is to believe in Jesus. Right? I love this statement. It says that, so no one who fears is in perfect love. If you, no one who fears. If you fear, you haven't yet lived in perfect love. Right? Fear has to do with punishment. We are afraid of what God can do, what God will do. And we're being called and given an invitation in Jesus to, we do not have to be afraid of God. No one has to be afraid of God. I saw this one time and I think it pictures it perfectly. Like there's these two spiritualities that flow out there when it comes to understanding love and God. And, and God as father, right? There's this sentiment about a father authority that we have to be afraid of and they're afraid of punishment. And it would say something like this. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe this happened. My dad is gonna be so mad. <laughs> and so what do we do in those moments if we have that kind of mentality towards our earthly father or mother or parent, right? We hide things. We're not authentically ourselves. We're not honest. We don't live in the light. We don't live in the truth. We live in concealment or darkness. 
But there is another way. There's a way that's grounded in love that it has no fear of punishment that says, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I got in this question. I've got to talk to my dad. I've got to talk to my dad. You see, that's a very different understanding of love. That's a very different experience. And so this perfect love that casts out fear, we can live in. We don't have to be afraid of of God. We don't have to be afraid of judgment. And this love that is poured into us, is poured into us, eventually flows out of us. And the writer of 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. So don't miss this. John 3, 16 and 17, the story with Nicodemus to be born again, to be born again into the care of a God that is love. And that is to say that God overwhelms our fear by loving first, by loving the way you love a newborn child. Before that newborn child knows how to say, I love you, knows how to do anything that would quote unquote, make us feel loved. The child simply receives the love, lives in the love, matures in that love, And what do parents feel? Parents feel the love back, the joy back. And this is how we find our way back to the garden. Right, if that image of the garden, right, is is just a metaphor for what happens in all of our lives, we find our way back to the garden. We find our way back through the blazing sword that protects it through Jesus through this example of Jesus, that this journey, this being born anew, being born from above, right? Being born in the spirit is to say that I am now uh, being born into a new way of understanding love, being born into a new way of understanding God, of seeing the world, of understanding myself. And so in your everyday normal life, to receive and live in this new birth means a couple of things. It means that you and I have to be free to abandon metaphors that produce unhealthy spirituality in our lives. And unhealthy spirituality is a spirituality that produces fear of God or fear for what God might do. That's grounded in dualistic, unhealthy spirituality. And so there are some metaphors that maybe you've heard, maybe that were a part of your spirituality. And, and, and if we're not careful, they can become and present an unhealthy view of love, an unhealthy understanding of what the very foundation and fabric of healthy spirituality is, a healthy understanding of God. One of those metaphors is one that I grew up with, and that is the army of God. I'm in the army of God. I've got my orders. And it's very violent and it has this imagery and I understand why it had its place. But perhaps you need to unlist from the army of God. Because within that metaphor, in our culture, in our time, is so much pain and hurt and dualism and violence. So maybe you need to unenlist from the army of God. Maybe that metaphor just needs to go by the wayside in your life. Maybe you were hired by God. Maybe rather than being born again into this family, you were hired by God. You were told, you know what? There are, there's laborers that are needed out in the field. Will you be a laborer? Will you take on this work? Right? Will you live a life worthy of the call of Christ Jesus? All these things are metaphors and they have their space. But if that produces like the framework, the foundation for how you understand the God of the universe as a boss, a CEO, who's got a quarterly plan for you. And if you don't accomplish the quarterly plan, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to get a bad review. Maybe it's time you retire from the workforce of God. And maybe it's time for all of us to start with And to to say, I've got to start acting like a baby. (laughs) 
I've got to start acting like a baby. I've got to start loving God like a baby loves a caregiver. Just receiving, just letting God's love pour into me over and over and over again. You know, sometimes I hear people complain. Oh, you know, uh, churches that only talk about the love of God, such a problem. But here's the thing. We always have to be reminded back into the love of God, that God is love. Because if we don't get that, if we don't get that as the foundation, that God is always loving us first, again and again and again and again. Loving us first, again and again and again. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is first, again and again and again. If we don't get that foundation right, we will misunderstand, misinterpret, misappropriate concepts, principles, metaphors like the wrath of God, the judgment of God, We'll misread, we'll misunderstand things like Revelation. We'll misunderstand it all. And we will convert God into our image. But we have to always be brought back to the way God functions, the way God sees, the way God works. What God is in this world is Trinitarian. The outpouring of love, the inflowing of love within God creates love. We then live in that love and and it flows out of us. And so it's that idea that the the best way to actually show God love is to receive love, to just receive it. And if our heartbeat here is to make this world a better place, and don't get me wrong, we make this world a better place by living out this image, this glory of love, this way of, of, of radical, unearned love that is just simply a part of who God is. It's what God is flowing into this world. We make this world a better place. We make ourselves a better place because we will develop unconditional newborn love in our rebirth, and that will mature into healthy spirituality. That matures when we experience that kind of love, when we, when we allow ourselves to be reborn to have a whole new perspective and understanding on God's love in this world, that will mature. That love that we experience won't mature us, but that love will mature into healthy spirituality that's grounded in God's unconditional, radical love that chases down this world, that has been in operation since the beginning of time, since creation in all parts of this world. Once we start to live in that truth, right, we will receive this love of God again and again. And what happens? We find joy. See, when we receive the love of God again and again first, when we know that God's love is not based on what we did or didn't do yesterday, we find joy, which is strength for this world, which is strength for the trials. 1 John 1, 4, this is the the closing of kind of the prologue to 1 John It gives us, we are writing this so that our joy may be complete. Writing 1 John, helping us understand the the gospel of John. And 1 John is all about love, right? So that our joy could be complete, our strength, our ability to see hope in the midst of hopeless circumstances. And that newborn love that we live in, that we experience, that now shapes and frames our spirituality teaches us something so powerful. And that is this, that loved people love people. Maybe you've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. And that is so true. But here's the thing. Loved people love people. Healed people heal people. And if our spirituality is grounded in this newborn love, we will mature that, 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 that experience will mature in us 
a love that flows out that's the same we've received in our love for people. So as we kind of wrap up week four here, what is it that God is inviting you into today? Perhaps, perhaps God is inviting you into a new birth. To be born from above. Above is a metaphor. It's not actually up. It's just how people in the ancient world thought of God and the gods. They were up and we were down. But it's being born anew, being being born into a spiritual way of seeing the world. To allow yourself to be loved by God as a newborn is loved by a parent. And for some of us, that may be a tough journey. That is a true surrender because we, we are in one of those metaphors that has become unhealthy. And so maybe God's inviting you to retire or to unenlist from those spiritual metaphors that have become unhealthy for you. That you just have to let him go. I'm not going to be in the army of God anymore. I'm not going to be a laborer in the field. I'm going to be that newborn baby. I'm going to live in that love. Let it get grounded in me. Let it transform me. And I want to mature in that so that I can be one of those loved people who love people. As we wrap up our time today, the band has a great song that they've recorded called Forever on Your Side. And this song is really about a love being expressed from a person to a person. But this love is a shadow of the love of God. Like this one line says, all I know is that my love, it knows no end. Right? Only when we've experienced that real love from God, that pure love, that newborn love, can we ever say that to another person. That I might not get everything about you, I might not understand, but all I know is that my love for you, it knows no end. Because that's what God whispers to us when we're enfolded in God's arms. All I know is that my love It knows no end. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are love. Thank you for these texts in Scripture. Thank you for the tension that we have in Scripture around how we always stray away from a love that is so pure that all we have to do is sit in it and let let it transform and mature us. So Lord, may we be born anew again and again in your first love for us. May that love drive us. May it heal us. May it give us eyes to see. And may we be people who have been loved by you so well that we love others. In Jesus' name, amen.